My message this morning is, Come ye who thirst for living water. And I'm going to try to include what we've been talking about during Advent, which is we've been talking about the color blue. And we've been talking about God's handiwork and God's gifts to us. Last week we saw through Dr. B that the handicap of the, or the handicap, the handiwork of the tabernacle was in the priest's garment and it was all through the tabernacle. And this week we're going to learn that it's in the living water and it's, a, it's all through the Holy Ghost. So, in scripture, blue is symbolic for several meanings, but one of the greatest of them is um, that heavenlies. We know that Jesus created the heavens, Jesus lives in the heavens, and it immediately comes to mind, I love this, he made a way for us to be there now because he said that we who dwell in the midst, he that dwelleth in the, I can't say it, he that dwelleth in the, well, I know that by heart, <laughs> he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of God's wings. And that really means a lot to me because he protects us. We are, he is our refuge. He's our, the place we run to in the time of trouble. And I specifically remember a time when, um, actually it was in October of 1983, I believe. My brother-in-law is a career army man. He's been in Lebanon, Vietnam, Iraq, and Germany. But in October of 1983, he was stationed in Beirut, Lebanon. And it was many countries that were in a big barracks, and they were there for peace. And they were really having a lot of peace. They were having success. And one evening, his commanding officer sent Randy and another man out on some kind of a journey for something. And Randy said, I couldn't figure out why in the world he was sending us out at night in the midst of whatever could happen to us, two of us. I was just baffled. Why would he send me out there or send us out of there? Well, my sister, praise God, and my mom and me, we had been praying for him anyway. But specifically, we prayed Psalm 91. And on the morning of October 23rd, he was out and about, praise God. God was with him. Because while he was gone, a terrorist was in a truck filled with explosives, ran it into that big barracks, brought it completely down. When Randy got back from whatever they had been doing, there was nothing of his room left. Nothing. The whole building was just totaled. And about 200 of our Marines and 18 Navy men and three Army were killed. And there were others in other nations that were there that were killed also. But the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, when he works through us, when he He hears our prayers and sends the Holy Ghost for his peace and his protection, it's amazing. It's just amazing. He makes a way for us to be with him no matter where we're at or what the time is. So, But when we think of his creative work, in my opinion, 
one of the greatest places of God's handiwork in creation is Washington State. And on a clear day, you can see Mount Rainier from my sister's home in Tacoma. And the, the people who live there will even say, if somebody says, how's the weather today? Their answer is, the mountain's out. You don't get the temperature or anything. You just get the mountains out. <laughs> but we are only, she is only about 45 minutes from there, but we never wait around to just look at the mountain from home. We drive to the mountain. We take a picnic lunch, and we're off and running. And the closer you get, you'll see some beautiful blue lakes. The blue water is so pretty, and then it just kind of descends into the blue sky with little white clouds here and there. And you really think about it. makes you think of Jesus. It makes you remember Jesus. It makes you excited to see him. It makes you long for the second coming because the Holy Spirit is just moving in the creation. You can just see it. And it's so exciting. It's so exciting. Well, there are several symbols for water because they have that beautiful blue water and that beautiful blue sky and also the ocean. They're only about two hours from the ocean. We go there, too. And the Lord reigns, and he is so holy, and you can't help but see Mount Rainier standing in all of its elegance and not know that there is a creator and that he had he paints a more beautiful picture than any masterpiece could ever be. In scripture, there are several symbols of water. We usually think of the dove, but there's also fire and oil and Fire, oil, and what am I thinking? Water. <laughs> Water. And the greatest sign, the greatest gift I think God has ever given us next to salvation is the Holy Spirit. Because He's just, He comforts, He teaches, He convicts us. He, he just is in our life in a relevant way. And we see that in water because the Holy Spirit always moves. He's not still. He keeps moving, moving, moving. And just like if you go fishing or something and you're watching the river and it's just flowing along, sometimes at a peaceful place and sometimes pretty furiously, well, God works with the Holy Spirit through us in that same way. It, we're never supposed to be just still. We're never to become stagnant. That Holy Ghost is supposed to move us and move us and move us. It's God's gift to us. It's his gift to us. And we need to hunger. We need to thirst for it. We need to to really desire it. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me. Requires some action. We have to hear him. We have to go. We have to do it. And he that believeth on me, we have to believe. As the scriptures have said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And our question, my question is, are we a believer? And are we thirsting? Because when you really thirst for something, I used to love to landscape my yard. And I would go out all day. And so excited about doing things like that that I, I never went in. And I didn't have a water bottle with me. So when I'd get in there, I mean, I was thirsty. And I would that's the first thing I would do is go get a drink of water and you just chug it down because you're just dying for it. Practically, literally. 
<clears throat> we cannot live without water. We can live without food for quite some time, but water just a few days. I think some people here have fasted the Esther fast and had trouble with the third day even. I've never tried it, never will. <laughs> but when we get to hydration, we're, we're, we have a definite want for water. And it can bring dizziness. We get really tired. We get that dry mouth. Our lips are parched. If we don't get some water soon, we'll die. My husband, Mike, was in the hospital one time, and suddenly he started having convulsions. And I got a nurse, scared to death. I thought, what is going on? And she couldn't figure it out. So she called in some more nurses, and they couldn't figure it out. And all of a sudden, a nurse was walking by. She happened to be the the kidney doctor's assistant. And she just happened to look in that room, and she said, it looks to me like he's dehydrated. And she just went right on. Sure enough, that's what it was. It caused convulsions. So we have to thirst. We have to quench that thirst, that water that we need so badly. And Jesus is saying, come. Come. If you're thirsty, come. You know, we don't neglect if we get thirsty for water. We don't neglect it. We go right in and and get a drink of water or something. But do we thirst like that for spiritual things? Nothing else can satisfy us. If you're hungry for God or if you're thirsty for just plain water, nothing will satisfy you until you take care of that, until you drink water. And nothing's going to take care of us spiritually unless we crave it and we thirst for it. And it's something that nothing else can satisfy us. We, The world will try to satisfy it with possessions and positions and all kinds of things, sometimes really bad things, drugs, alcohol. There's a sexual revolution right now, which is everything about the world right now is really sad, bad, really bad. But do we... And they they try to satisfy themselves, but it just it just keeps deeper and deeper and deeper. But how about us? How about our thirst for Jesus? How about our thirst for the Holy Spirit? How about a thirst for that actually living water that cannot be satisfied unless we finally get it? Are we seeking it? Are we? Last week, Donnie talked about seeking God. Deeply, persistently. But do we do that with the Holy Ghost? Do we thirst for that water to the point where we have to have it? To stop thirsting for God, to stop thirsting for the Holy Spirit, is death. Have you ever just gone without, without reading the Bible? or praying, or doing your devotions. And all of a sudden, if you just miss one day, there's something within you that is just crying out. Nothing's going quite right. And if you miss church, you'd feel that. And you might still be reading the Bible and such, but you just need that interaction. You need to see the Holy Spirit moving amongst us. 
We need to enter into the worship when when the worship team leads us into the actual praise and when we're actually just in the heavens. When you feel like you're face to face with God, there's just something different, something different. And we need to thirst for that. I love what David said. He said, as the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after God. And if you study the deer, if the deer is in danger and that there's a water supply anywhere near, he will go to the water and he will swim and swim and swim and he'll duck his head under the water as long as he can just maybe come up to breathe. But he'll keep hidden as far as he can and he will go until he cannot. He's so out of breath. He's so tired. He can go no longer. Does my heart pant after the water broke? Does my heart pant for the Holy Ghost to move in me? Because water keeps moving. Water just moves and moves and moves. You can just watch it go down the river as you're fishing or whatever you're doing. And John goes on to say, He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of the belly shall flow rivers of water. I just repeat myself, but... Are we that thirsty? Are we really that thirsty? Isaiah says it this way. I love this. Ho, everyone who thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And ye that have no money, come ye and buy and drink. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which satisfies you not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat of that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. I've never delighted in fatness before. <laughs> but but this is a good one. <laughs> you know, food is expensive, especially now. But we physically need it, and so we do buy it. But God offers us free nourishment. We don't have to go out and buy it. He feeds us and he satisfies our soul if we are seeking it, if we are thirsting after it, if we're not ignoring it. We can starve spiritually without daily bread as well. Because Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. And there's no way, there's nothing without the Lord in our lives. And he calls, come to me, and I will give you the Holy Spirit. And out of your belly shall flow rivers, rivers of living water. If we truly, truly answer that call, it's exhilarating. It's breathtaking. And I like to, I like to refer to it as my time in Mount Rainier. Because we always take that picnic lunch and then we go hiking. And when we're walking up the mountain, I also like to to look at it like it's steps. Because Jesus tells us to be conformed into his image. He, he tells us to put on Christ. And if we will do that, we don't stop at salvation. We keep on going. We keep on going up the steps 
up to the mountain. Because we want that relationship. We want that relationship with Jesus. We want that relationship with the Holy Spirit. And we want that spirit to move in us. We want to minister to one another when we have needs. Right now there's so many that are sick and they need our prayers. Or maybe they need us to do something for them. I love the Song of Solomon. Solomon in verses in chapter two, verses eight to fourteen, he's speaking to his loved one, but it's really an analogy of Jesus and us, his bride. And here's what it says. The voice of my beloved, behold, he cometh leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. And that's what I'm talking about when I climb the mountain. You want to go up the mountain. Little by little, you're adding to your character of Jesus Christ. And when you get to the top, you're so excited. You're just so excited. And he says, my beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the window, showing himself through the lattice. My beloved spake, and he said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. O my dove, that art in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs. Let me see thy countenance. Let me hear thy voice, for sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is comely. That's the kind of relationship we want with the Lord. And as we climb up that mountain and we're putting the cares of the world behind us, we can become just like those rows. They're skipping, they're hopping, they're, they're joyful, and we love. It shows forth the great love that we have. And I don't know if anybody else is crazy like me, but there are times when I get so excited about God, and especially before I have a hip problem anyway, but you'll, you'll just dance and you'll sing. I never do it in front of anybody, but at home I just have a great time. And it's so exciting, and you just you can't stop. You just don't want to stop. So you want to stay there, right? But what happens if we're like Jesus? What happens if we're letting the Holy Spirit move us? I never want to come down to the mountain from the mountain. <laughs> I love it up there. But if we're like Jesus, remember when he looked up on the crowd, he had compassion. He had compassion on the people below. So I can say, yes, Jesus, I came. Yes, Jesus, I drank. I know the Holy Spirit is moving me. But I don't want to go down the mountain. I want to stay up here with you. I'm having a face-to-face like Jacob had. Or a face-to-face like Moses had. I don't want to go down. (laughs) I don't want to go down. But we look down. And what do we see? We see people with the golden calf. We see the unsaved. We see some that are sick. We see some that, even even Christians, I mean, there are times when we tend to lose hope. 
But if we'll just keep that Holy Spirit living within us. But, but it takes our effort to thirst and to come. And then not to dwell upon ourselves, but be like Jesus and have that compassion where the Holy Spirit moves. He just moves and he keeps moving. And our cups should run over. And if if we're full, another symbol of the Holy Spirit is the oil. And if our cup is filled and, and our, we're just filled with that oil, it's supposed to overflow. And it's supposed to come out. And just like that lady with the alabaster box, remember she poured all of the oil onto Jesus. She, she didn't save anything back at all. She poured all of that alabaster box full of oil, a year's worth of, of salary, and she didn't spare it. Will we be emptied out like that? Will we? Our cup runs over. Are we going to keep it all to ourselves? And if we do, you know what happens? It becomes stagnant. Just like water becomes stagnant. It becomes stagnant in it. Because Jesus created us to pour out. To give out the gospel message to other people. To take food to someone who's sick. To write a card to somebody that... Needs encouraged. Little things even. Just let that cup flow. Because it's a river of water within us that needs to be flowing through us every moment. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take that water freely. It's free to us. Why won't we, we take what God is giving us free and let that satisfy our souls? Why do, why do we, I can remember a time, not too long ago, I really got caught up in TV. Now, I didn't watch bad things. I was watching my favorite pastor that's on TV or other Christian things, singers and such. But it's not the same as sitting in that chair or wherever you do your devotions and really having a one-on-one with God. It's not the same. And I want to concentrate now on the lady... The woman at the well. We're all familiar with the story. So I'm not going to actually um, read the scripture. But I'm just going to paraphrase it, whatever you want to call it. You know, the Pharisees realized that Jesus, actually it was his disciples, They were baptizing, and more and more people were turning to the Lord. They did not like that. It was becoming a dangerous situation. So Jesus said, I must needs go to Samaria. And I don't think he must needs go because they were after him. I think he must need go because he had a divine appointment with the lady that was going to be at the well that day. And he was going to talk to her about salvation. And as you go through Samaria, 
the Jews wouldn't go through Samaria. They would go the long way around Samaria to keep from going through that land. There was a, a deep hatred from the Jews to the Samaritans, mainly because the Samaritans had had to stay behind when others left Israel for the moment. And they took on the religions of the Gentiles and married some of them. And so they were worshiping idols and they were not coming to the temple to worship because they had built their own and just were doing a whole different thing. So the Jews were definitely against them. And Samaria was the quickest way, but they didn't care. They just took the long route. Do we ever just avoid something like that and go the way around? <laughs> I think we do sometimes. <laughs> well, the Jews looked down on the Samaritans. They looked at them as being racial. Racial. I can't say that word. <laughs> they were racist. <laughs> um, it's kind of like Israel and the Palestinians are today. It's something very similar. But Jesus was going through Samaria, not by chance. Like I said, I don't think it was by chance. The lady wasn't looking for Jesus when she came to the well, but Jesus was looking for her. And he comes for us as well. And most of the Jews, if they did have to go through Samaria, they would hurry through, not Jesus. He stopped at the well. He knew that that woman would be coming. He knew exactly what time. And he knew exactly what to say to her. He gives us some insight into how we should witness and how we should go about salvation, talking to someone about it. Reaching people for Christ is not always comfortable. Comfort's not an issue that if that Holy Spirit is moving, if that river of water is running through you, you still minister to the needs. And you t- It's like a firefighter. He goes into a burning house to get people saved. He does, does, <laughs> just doesn't stand out and call and say, Would, you better get out of there. He, he goes in. He risks his life. He risks his reputation. He risks everything for that. And that's the way Jesus is. He goes after us. He, he thirsts for us. Why don't we thirst back? Well, Jesus starts the conversation with a very simple question. Will you give me something to drink? You know, they have traveled for a long time. It's noon now. It's probably about 105 degrees if it was in July or August. And they've traveled all morning long. They were thirsty. All of the disciples were thirsty. They had gone on into town to get some meat. But Jesus was thirsty. He was tired. And so it was a perfect time for him to meet with this woman. He welcomes her. He doesn't shun her. He doesn't talk to her about all of her sins. He just strikes up a conversation. I'm thirsty. Would you, would you give me a drink? Well, the Samaritan woman said to him, after he'd asked for a drink, 
You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. How can you even ask me for a drink the way you people treat us? And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew who it really was asking you for a drink of water, you would have given it because I would give living water. And she said, but you don't have anything to draw with. Where is this living water? This is Jacob's well. We've been here a long time and this is our well. And you don't have any, it's deep and you don't have anything to draw with. How can you even talk to me and how can you even ask me for this? Jacob had drank there many, many years before. And all of his cattle and his sheep and whatever they had drunk from this well. And Jesus answered and said, everyone who drinks this water will never thirst. But whoever drinks the water that I give them shall never thirst. I said that backwards. If you drink from the well, you always thirst. But if you drink what he gives you, you will never thirst. And it will become like a well of living water within you. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to draw this water. She totally misunderstood, though. All the other women would come early morning and evening because it was so hot at noontime. This woman, because she had five husbands and now was living with someone that wasn't her husband, she didn't want to be around them, probably because they were snobby to her, I'm sure. But she's thinking, wow, if he'll give me this water that I never thirst again, I won't have to come to this well anymore. That would be great. This is a great help to me. But that wasn't what Jesus was talking about. He said, I'll give you living water. Water that runs, that flows forever. But she just didn't get it. (laughs) She just didn't understand. You know, when he first started talking to her, he really did follow kind of a pattern for evangelism. First, he, he leads her to what she needs. Because he says, you've had five husbands and da-da-da-da-da. He sees her need. But you know what? When Jesus really sees our need or when a person sees our need and it's something that our past we really don't want them to know about, what do we do? We change the subject. (laughs) But he knew what she was. He knew what she had done in her lifetime. And he knew this would be a change in her life. This would be her salvation. If she would just, just take it. Take his advice. And she keeps trying to get off track. And Jesus returns there to, over and over. And gets her back on track. Do you know who I am? Do you know my true identity? Because they knew about the Messiah. They, they had been in Jewish synagogues and such and they they knew what the messiah would come for and he was telling her really basically i am the messiah i am the one who can give you living water i am the one who can change your life around so that you become reputable and 
even more than that, you'll be happy. You'll be joyful. You can be full of this living water that flows and makes you happy and makes you excited. You can be filled with that living water that just keeps moving and moving and moving. And, you know, the things he said to her were very simplistic. He didn't go into a lot of depth and explaining every scripture. He just met her right where she was at. And that's what we need to do when when we're talking to somebody instead of just reading scripture and telling me you really. (laughs) I have this friend and I love her. And she is saved. She is one of those. I would never say this to her, but it's true. She's one of those that you really don't want to be a friend with if, if you weren't Christian. And she used to go to our church, and she is saved. And she, she's trying to follow the Lord. She's severely handicapped physically. and um, <laughs> But instead of really just talking like Jesus did in conversation, and she'll just, they'll be doing something. You just really need Jesus. And they don't know anything. <laughs> you know, they don't have a clue what she's really talking about. Plus, she's not a very good example. <laughs> she does it that way. I'm working with her, bless her heart. <laughs> but salvation is simple. It's I get upset, though. It's not as simple as they make it sound. Because as Toy mentioned in the scripture, or in Cindy school, they just mention the salvation plan and just accept Jesus in your heart and you'll be saved. There's so much more than that. They're, they're really... They're at a disadvantage, really, because the people think they're saved and they they don't really know what it requires. And it is. Yes, it's free, like she said. But then afterwards, we're supposed to put on Christ. We're supposed to become more like Christ. We're supposed to allow the Holy Spirit to move in us. That living water is supposed to keep rolling down the river of our life. And they don't know that. They don't know that. Like I said before, we have to have a thirst that is unquenchable without knowing Christ and putting it into our lives. We used to sing this song, Fill My Cup, Lord. Like the woman at the well, I was seeking for things I could not satisfy. And then I heard my my Savior speaking, draw from the well that never runs dry. And then the chorus is, Fill My Cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup, fill it up, and make me whole. And we don't stop there, though. We empty the cup. We're poured out for Jesus. We keep letting that Holy Ghost, that river of life, we keep letting it roll along. So she tried to to uh, turn the conversation around. She didn't want him to tell her her past. She didn't want him to know it. But he knew it. <laughs> and he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said, you're right when you say that. It was good that she was honest, that, that she did admit it. But she wasn't going to offer it. <laughs> You are right when you say you have no husband. And the fact is, you're with a man now that is not your husband. 
so it brings him to a point where he can really, really minister to her. It made her uncomfortable. She didn't want him to go into detail like that. And even today, today that's not unusual to have husband after husband to live together without being married. And, you know, I, I'm so concerned about the church at large because they're allowing all of this to come in, all of this worldly behavior, all this wickedness. I'll never forget how sad I was when I was raised Presbyterian. They were the first ones that allowed marriage between gays. It broke my heart. But now a lot of churches are doing it. It's not just the Presbyterian church. It's almost a norm. Aren't you thankful we're in a church where we hear the right word, the true word, and we don't deviate from it? Our pastor is good, and Phyllis is so good that they tell it like it is. <laughs> but I worry about the pastors, too. We should really pray for pastors across America, probably worldwide. But what they're teaching, or not teaching, they're sending their congregation to hell. They're not seeking God. They're not thirsting after God. They're not letting that river of water flow. They're just... Some of them, I think, are just um, motivational speakers. That's all they are. And there is a scripture, and I can't quote it, but it says that the blood of those people is going to be on them. They're going to answer for that. And that's something for us to think about, too, really. Uh, Not in that particular way, but when we miss an opportunity to minister to someone, if we know they need us, they need a word from us. They need some kind of a, uh, a work from us, whatever. If we ignore that, how do you feel about that? It's, it's, we're, not in le- we're not letting that cup flow. We're shutting off the Holy Spirit. We're raised to think... This is one of her problems in the root, I think, part of partially. Um, at least from my era, and I'm old. But <laughs> I was raised in a Christian family, a small town. Um, none of this kind of thing went on. None of it. If you did, you sure didn't know it. But I was so naive when I went away from that dinky little town. And I didn't have the scriptures. I didn't know what I know now. But I literally knew what was good and what was bad. And I, and our world is missing that now. Our families are broken up across America, and people do. And and, and it's scriptural. It's it's, it's been prophesied what's going to happen in the last days. But it's still hard to see it. It's really hard to see it. I just really want to know, for me and for you, are we really thirsty? What are we allowing to satisfy us instead of the Holy Spirit and our salvation? What are we thirsting for? 
I know there have been times, which I started saying got off track, but when I would sit in the TV too long, wasn't, wasn't sinning as far as doing anything wrong and watching what I shouldn't see, but I wasn't a good steward of my time for Jesus. And I wonder how many Christians are like that. I'm not, I'm not accusing any of us. I just think we all need to examine ourselves. Am I thirsting? And is my thirst to the point where I'm on that mountain? Or am I hungering after something and I'm not feeling it? Because once we're there, like I said, when you're face to face, so to speak, with the Lord, and you are skipping and leaping along those mountains. Now I have to waltz. I can't skip and leap. I just have to do a waltz. But that makes me close. But studying this has made me look at myself and thinking, you know, I spend a lot of time in the morning with devotions and worship and Bible. But I spend a lot of time doing other things as well. And I don't want to miss an opportunity for that living water to keep flowing and me not do something I'm really supposed to do. I just think we all need to look at our life, examine our life, and delight in the Lord. And that's just, it's just on my heart that we have that living water moving within us. He is the Messiah. He gives us great gifts. Do we use them? And I even think of it like when he tells us we all have gifts. We have different gifts. It's the Holy Spirit. Each of us have gifts. But are we using them? That's part of the living water is that we use the gifts that he's given us. And I, I would love to have, and I wish I could do it, but God hasn't given me that gift yet. I wish we had prophecy in the church. And prophecy isn't proclaiming always what's going to be in the future. It's encouraging. It's exhorting the church, lifting them up. Prophecy lifts up or tells truth. We just need to use the gift that God has given us, and that gift should be living. I want to close in prayer, and then we will have communion. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you humbly. Humbly, seeking you, thirsting for you. And Lord, when we reach that point up on top of that mountain, We don't want to come down, but Father, we want you to use us in a mighty way to bring your gospel message, to be like Jesus wanted us to be when we were to feed the hungry and visit the orphans and the prisoners and touching people's lives. Lord, I ask that this church, the individuals in this church, We will touch lives. We will give your message of salvation to those who need it. We'll feed someone who needs it. 
We'll clothe someone who needs it. We'll visit someone who needs it. Let that living water flow through us until our cup runneth over. And we do. We give you all the glory because in us, there's a selfish spirit usually. We like the high times. But we want to be used. We want to be pleasing unto you, Lord. Just help us be what you want us to be. And we'll give you all the glory in the name of Jesus. Amen.